You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly. We were all about defeating bad decision making. I'm Sean Smith with me, Sanger Smith here today. We're talking with Bill Bird. Now, I have known Bill for over 30 years, and he has run so many different businesses from candy factories to car dealerships, to restaurants, to cooking schools, all types of things. And he's just a fountain of wisdom. And we're going to talk to him today about the decisions that business owners and leaders need to make to run a successful business. You're going to like it. Listening. So, Bill, we were talking about your radio show years ago on Sirius, and, and you talk with entrepreneurs, and I, I was telling Sanger the other day, I said, I want to talk with Bill because he's got just this wealth of experience in a variety of seemingly unrelated businesses. The common thread is they need leadership. The common thread is they need entrepreneurial outlook and 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 a vision for how you're going to make that grow. And so we were, we were talking about, I don't think you, did you know that Bill did the culinary school? Well, I didn't know you did, you did the radio show. I didn't know you're Howard Stern's predecessor. <laughs> Whatever we I bailed. About earlier. I bailed. <laughs> that's not in my DNA. <laughs> I mean, that's something. That's like the guy that Howard got drafted Stern. before Michael Jordan. Well, yeah. Bill had a, a, a sidekick named Baba Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great opportunity if we could have developed it. But in two and a half years, you cannot develop a full-fledged radio show or station or whatever you want to call it to be that effective. So right. what was the show about? Sweet success. They would call in and or I'd bring up a problem. I'd bring up an, something that's going on in the, in, the, in the country. Okay, what are we going to do with immigration right now? Okay. Do, do you have any immigrants that are illegal? Do you believe that's okay? And I make them think that through. Now, these are all employers that call in. Yeah, sure. You know, you make them think, and then everybody hears it. And then I'll get some irate person, you know, that's far right or far left, and they'll give their opinion. So it's a balance, and you just got to fight it and go through it. You know, between leadership, management, and entrepreneuring, leadership and entrepreneuring are very close. But the entrepreneur, entrepreneuring is, it's a disease. I mean, you see a deal. What do you say? It's a disease. You see a deal, you can't leave it alone. You just, you're there. You know, yeah. someone says, hey, Bill, I know there's something down the road. I'm gone. Yeah. Back in those days. I was there because I wanted to be the first one to get it. I was there. Right, it was right. a good deal. Most of the time they weren't good deals, but you know, it's, <laughs> that's entrepreneurial. Leadership is a pretty well defined person who's pretty well disciplined. And uh, the difference between leadership and management, management is, is a person who's much better at details. Okay. Leadership is a person who can see the big picture. He wants vision. Managers, I, I think, tend to be more process-oriented. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. You give them a, a game plan, you say, this is what we need to do, and they'll figure out a better way to even do that. Sure. That's what an entrepreneur wants. So which, which is more important, leader, manager? I think they're the same. Mm -hmm. They're both very, very important. You just you have to find your niche. It seems like you know, on the on the leadership side, those are the ones that are looking for what is the big picture, what is the vision, where are we trying to go, 
in, in dealing with the human capital, whereas the managers are looking at how do we cut through the bureaucracy, perhaps? How do we refine these systems, uh, yeah. create efficiency, execute on that plan mm-hmm. that uh, maybe the leader has developed? And, and if you have good managers, you want them better at that than you are. A lot of guys, that, that's a real fallacy because some people don't want anybody better than who you are. When you talk about the difference, you mentioned the difference between entrepreneuring and, and leading. What do you find is the, the I know the mindset is different, and but a lot of entrepreneurs need to become good leaders. And they're not born with that inherent innate trait in the same way that they're born with their entrepreneurial sphere. How do they get that? An entrepreneur really has, like you said, an innate ability. I think sometimes you're almost born with it. Leadership can be taught. Management can be taught. Entrepreneuring, ooh, it can be. But, you know, people would say, Bill, I want to do what you've done, you know. And I would say, okay, can you go without a paycheck for six months? Mm -hmm. I can't do that. That's entrepreneuring. And there's certain parameters that you have to accept that aren't good in entrepreneuring. But the upside is it's phenomenal what can happen to you. Sure. You know that. Well, you know? I think that there's a comfort level with uncertainty that entrepreneurs have that is uh, is not present with a lot of people that value stability, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. They'll value not ruining things. In other words, how do we make sure we don't run the ship into the shore? Whereas entrepreneurs sometimes are, are more comfortable taking those risks, not always successfully. <laughs> Uh, I've, got a, I've got a friend who hates his job. He He's a wonderful guy, but the it's almost a defining trait about him that he hates his job, right? And it's like, <laughs> I, for a while, I would talk to him like, dude, you're so smart. And he is. You're so disciplined. And he is. You, you're such a good communicator. Like, you have all these skills. You can start a business in, in, in your industry and be successful. You, there's so many things you can do. If you don't want to have someone tell you what to do, if you don't want to be locked in your cage from eight to five, you can go start your business. And he looks at me like I've got three heads. He's like, and have no idea what's going to happen and not get a paycheck (laughs) and not have a 401k. No, I'd rather hate my job. (laughs) You got to be able to say, I can take risk and sleep at night. How much risk do you take? I tell people this. Take as much as you can sleep at night. Uh-huh. If, if you had to borrow half a million dollars to get this thing off the, off the ground and you go sleep on it for a while and you're okay with that, but if you have to go a million dollars and you're, you notice you're not sleeping, then you need to cut back. Yeah. You know, so that, that creates the size for you because you got to be healthy. I really like that question because when I'm working with clients as an advisor to decide hey, how much risk should we incorporate in the portfolio? A lot of people ask me the question, they'll ask, well, how risky should we be? As if there's a playbook for them, you know, based on their age, or how much money they have, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And there are guidelines based on those things, but there's not an exact number, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've got to no. factor in how much and exactly what you asked. Well, how, how much is going to cause you to lose sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Because we... Definitely don't want to go over that. Well, I think we don't need to. There's also a difference when people are talking about the acceptance of risk and and taking risk. It's different when you talk about it in the abstract. 
right? And, and, and I think people's willingness to take risks is not truly known until they get into that situation. Absolutely. And they go, oh my gosh, my business just lost this much revenue. I had three people quit today. Maybe this isn't for, you know, and once they get into it, then they know. But it's hard to sort of academically say, this is what I think my risk, you know, this is my risk tolerance. I'm always amused by those questions. Because you don't know. You think you know. It's close. <laughs> when you ask people that question, ask them to think about it when, in terms of a dollar amount, were people receptive to that? Did that help people kind Absolutely. of figure out? Absolutely. Hardly anybody uses that. And I think it's so simple. That's what I, I said. I, I try to keep it basic language so whoever I'm talking to, now they might be a mathematician and not probably don't have to do that sure but if they're the normal guy on the road that wants to have his own business you got to come to them what's holding you back then you got to figure out what business should you go into what are you the best at you know all those things that's on the startup stuff how do you decide what business you're going to go into i mean mean, you've gone into a lot of businesses tell me about that thought process when you you're looking at opportunities which i'm guessing that you see all the time right? You can't help but see them. How do you decide which of those you're going to approach and embrace and which one you let pass by you? You have a feeling when you go in. You know, have you ever walked into and you meet a person, meet a girl, whatever? I've never done that, actually. getting there. (laughs) And it just didn't feel good? No, but I hear, yeah, you meet someone, you don't, you know, I went into a meeting one time and this guy had developed uh, flavorings for ice cream. And they, they were crystals. And you put the crystals in the, in the boiling water and it melts down. The, okay. Whatever the color that is, it makes the, the batch of ice cream. Okay. I was sweating. You wanted me to buy it. Yeah, I was sweating. I didn't feel good about something because I couldn't find any holes in it, but I knew there was something wrong. So I think a lot of it is intuitiveness inside of you. Where are you comfortable? But I think if you, if you when you're looking at a business, you start looking at the operation. You start looking at where the building is. Did the guy put a big enough building where he is, or did he have to go? Does it need to be built larger? For instance, when I first started Sweet Shop, mm-hmm. okay. tell a little bit about what Sweet Shop is. Sweet Shop Chocolate Factory was a factory that made really good chocolates, and we finally landed Neiman Marcus, Marshall Fields, all the big department stores that could afford us. We were like in the $12 range. Okay. Godiva was in the $15 range. Okay. We didn't say Godiva. We'd say Godiver. <laughs> but, but, you know, anybody caught saying Godiva with the right name, they, they lost their job. Not really. But it, that was our competitor. It wasn't Russell Stover or anybody like that. Right. You, you got to know who your competitor is. Yeah. So how good are you at taking on that elevation of business. You know, you do business differently there than you do down here. And so, you know, if your guys all like to go in and wear jeans and all that, you're not going to get into Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue and Marshall Fields. They believe in societal talk of how you look. What's best for you? I would always say it was a process of taking every aspect of the business in sales. Who are going to be your salespeople? Who are going to be your marketing people? So when you talk about, you know, if you guys like to wear jeans, you're not going to be able to compete in that market. Is that a matter of assessing the team that you have and finding a market that fits that team? 
or is it assessing the market you want and finding a team that fits that market? You find the market you want and get the people that yeah. would work okay. in there. The problem is, and of course, you know, jeans now and jeans back in the eighties. Sure. That was a big night and day. Right. And you had to wear a suit every time we went to some of those uh, department stores. Sure, I wouldn't go to Neiman Marcus to shop in jeans. Yeah. No. <laughs> So you're talking about the first sort of, as Malcolm Gladwell talks about, sort of that blink, that intuition. When you look at something, you get a, you get a read on it. Then you're going to start looking at market accessibility. You're going to look at the financials, the math of it, mm -hmm. in terms of profitability. Do you then start to look inward and say, all right, can I, is, is it a technical competency that you look at next? Or, or how, do you, how do you deal with that self-doubt? Okay, let's take one element. All right. Uh, restaurants. Okay. I've had a few of those. It's tough. It's the toughest business. If, a, if you can find a manager to run a, to run a restaurant, manage anything. Yeah. I mean, it is that, it is that difficult. What I'd say, okay, let's look at the cost of goods, product, and cost of labor with this restaurant. And let's say that it should be 30 and 30, 30% cost of food, 30% cost of labor. That's 60%. So your gross profit is 40, 40 percent. Right. Everything else comes out of it. My salary, the salary of you know the janitors and all that, and then you got to go in and pay rent. You got to go in and you got to pay for the lights, electricity, insurance, all that stuff comes out of it. Out of the 40, then you hope you make 10 percent. So let's say you look at the business and it really looks pretty cool, but you dig into it and find out, holy mackerel. He costed the products wrong. Uh -huh. He had to. This is not 30% cost. Right. Intuition. You, you got to, you know, you just have to be sharp at that and, and, and just pick it up. And I had a, a chocolate factory I almost bought. And I went what in there. From, what you from buying that? Their accounting completely did it wrong, in my opinion. Of course, what I do, doing a little mathematician because of engineering, I don't do it in an accounting way. I do it as a mathematician would do it. What's the difference? What do you mean? We use more straight numbers. We just come in and say, okay, if you okay, have. Okay, you're getting all the depreciation, all, all the. Uh, Forget the, all that stuff. Go in there. You got sugar. Games. Okay. You got cocoa. You got milk. You got all this stuff. You're going to use so much electricity. You're going to you, you work all those things out. Right. That's a straight number. And that comes out, and it should be, say, 30% of the cost of the product when you sell it. So you either got to raise the cost of the product, which might put you in a different whole different market mm -hmm. and you may not be ready for that. So that's where the entrepreneur has to come in and say, Hey guys, I'd like this product. You're not charged enough for it. Okay. And they're saying, well, what do you mean? What, you're not charged enough for it. You got 40% cost. Mm -hmm. We can't make any money on this. I had an opportunity to buy a business years ago. And so this was a financial advisory business. And there are certain ratios that we start looking at in terms of the profitability. In other that's words, that's the word ratios. Yeah. So, so we look at the, the ratio of income to assets, let's say. And so I had been offered this one business to buy and I start looking at the numbers and the guy was pretty proud of the ratio. And <laughs> yeah, so this is going the, 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 because his numbers were really like, good. Hey, my, my ROAs. Yeah, his, his return on asset was outstanding, right? I mean, he had a lot to be proud of, I guess. But I started asking questions. I find out why the return on the assets was so good. 
is that he was just pillaging the practice, basically. I mean, he was just going through, and there were a lot of sort of one-time commission sales. He was doing some stuff that, in my opinion, wasn't really sort of right for the clients and pushing a lot of product, and that return was not going to be sustainable. In fact, there were going to be some compliance issues with this with this practice. Mm-hmm. But if I had just looked at the numbers, the numbers looked fantastic. In other words, the profit on what they were doing uh, was good, but it was too good. And, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where you were talking about the in- intuition, just it didn't smell right. You know, and I start digging into, and sure enough, mm-hmm. I found what I thought I would find. <laughs> and you can't be too quick to make a decision on buying a business. Yeah. You sell quick if somebody wants it, mm-hmm. but you buy slow. Yeah, always remember, good. always buy slow. Take another week, take two more weeks, take three more weeks. If you don't feel perfectly fine about it or something isn't quite right, and like you said, the numbers might look good on the surface. Right. But you dig in there and there's pilferage. Did you ever find one that you bought too quickly? And, yes. and that's why you have that opinion? Of course. <laughs> how do, how can I talk about this stuff? Yeah. Because <laughs> I did. I've, I've made all these mistakes. Yeah. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I get excited. You yeah. know, it's one of those guys told me about this. And I jump in the car. And I go down and look at it. And I say, how much you want for it? You know, I mean, you can, you can get caught up in the sale. Sure. I mean, I can't sleep until I buy it. Right. What did you buy? At that time? Yeah. I mean, I've done more than one. <laughs> I don't want to hear all the mistakes. Uh, see, I don't like to talk about my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were making decisions about whether or not to buy a business, yeah, and I'm sure you had a lot more opportunities to buy businesses than you, than you took advantage of. Yes. Other than the numbers and other than in your intuition, maybe about the numbers, what else went into the decision-making process about whether or not, you know, what did you need to see in order to make a decision that you would move forward? Okay. I, I ask them who their customers are. If they don't want to give me their name of the customers, then I'm gone because I'll, I'm going to go talk to them. Mm, okay. And if you don't want me to talk to them, then I don't want your business because I believe what you're telling me, but I got to have proof. Sure. And I'm going to talk to your customers and ask them some of the things you told me. Did they treat you that way or did you get good product on time? Did you get good shipping? Was everything done the way you wanted it done? Blah, blah, blah. Did you ever give them an idea and they didn't take it? Did they tell you why? It's okay if they didn't take it, if they tell you why they couldn't do it. Then another thing I look at, I look at their inventory. How much inventory do they have? I say, you're doing this dollars a year or whatever it is. Okay, what, how much inventory do you carry? Okay, then I can, just looking at the number of boxes in the, on the wall and stacked in their storage, I can tell if it, that's really what they have. It, it sounds like both of these items, you're talking about how they package product, how they account for inventory. Mm-hmm. It seems like both of these are speaking to integrity. Yes. Right. So I'm glad you brought that up. So how, how are you deciding if somebody has integrity? Because you, you want to deal with people who have integrity. I've, I've had dealings with people who don't, and it, and it goes miserably. You know, and you, you find out the, I found out the hard way right? <laughs> That's, that somebody wasn't with integrity. I remember a business dealing I had. We had a handshake agreement, and this person was supposed to fulfill this 
obligation and they they didn't and they told me they weren't going to they said well i know that's what we agreed to but you know i'm going to do something different and i said well i want to apologize to you and they said what why why what do you mean i said well see i i want to apologize to you because i believed what you said when you said it and i just want to let you know that i won't make that mistake again Oh, that's brutal. It, what it, kind of reaction did you get to that? That person quit that day. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the best thing for both of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it yeah. wasn't going to go well. You know, I was resolved to not take that person at their word ever again. They weren't somebody with integrity. No, you, you, the integrity is, is that's, what I, that's what I try to dig out. You know, yeah. if, I, if I count the boxes back there and I can tell you that they're off a million dollars on yeah. their inventory, what they're showing, I'm gone. Right. I'm nice to them and say thank you. So how do you decide someone is a person of integrity? Because if you can decide that up front or determine that up front, that would save you a lot of heartache yeah, later yeah, on. I don't think you can. But I think what you mentioned is maybe contacting customers. Customers are going to know if this person deals with Boom, integrity. right there. Because right. customers, if you treat them right, man, they're going to fall in line. They're going to promote the cause. Always. I've never had anybody that wasn't happy in a job that just wouldn't stand up to anything. When it comes to people who don't have integrity, it, it almost seems like there's no solving for it. Like, I don't see people change that behavior. No, I think it agree? stays with, I think it carries over wherever they go. Yeah. And you they, don't like, you can't learn it. They don't have long-term success. They have short-term success. They have finite successes, but they don't have long-term success. I can cheat you once, yeah, but you're not going to let me cheat you twice. I remember you telling me when I had just started in this business, you had said, well, maybe it was before I started. You said, well, you can't do it for the money. Mm -hmm. You can't do it for the money. Because if you do it for the money, it won't be successful for very long if you ever are. And I feel like all of the all of the times that I hear about advisors like what you're talking about, maybe overinflating their ROA past what would have been ethical or a guy who doesn't do doesn't honor a handshake deal, like that's doing it for the money. That's not only that's not exactly what's gonna happen every time if you're doing it for the money, but it's a pretty good shot. Mm -hmm. that you're going to make some questionable choices to justify the dollar. Well, it's it just the, the conversation we had yesterday about you could have charged a commission on a, yeah. on a trade you made. It wasn't within our model. It wasn't really what we do. Somebody came to you directly said, Hey, I want you to do this. Basically, you know, you get this done for me. And it was outside of what we normally do. And we could have charged several hundred dollars to this person to to make that no oh, thousands they, they were thousands and they would have been fine with it yeah. but it wasn't the right thing to do because it wasn't sort of our service model yeah and i think you're far better off just sort of doing that and building goodwill with that client i, I like that those opportunities come up so much you know, i learn why or how easy it is for people in business to to behave that way, to behave without mm -hmm. integrity, because the temptation is there all the time. Right. The difference between to, to take the short-term win. Yeah, the difference between someone with integrity and someone without, or someone who puts their customers or clients first and someone who doesn't, is not that they 
that they didn't have the opportunity. Right. Like I think everyone is tempted to absolutely to act improperly. Uh, it's just not legal. Bill, have you? Can you recall a time where you had to make a tough decision on on acting with integrity? Yes, I had to. I can remember many times. You know, that was a guiding force for me. I mean, you have to have things you live by. You know, the standards that you live by. If you go beyond that, people don't remember what you said or what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And how you make them feel is with integrity. Yeah. If they know you're, you got my best interest, you'll walk two miles to bring me the $5 that you forgot to give me. And I would have never remembered it. Mm-hmm. You got him. He'll be your customer for life. But you, you have to, you know, you just got to remember that how you make people feel. And that takes work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you know, you just can't come in and say something. Hey, guys, everything's okay. Okay. They want more than that from you. They want to see a leader that's, that's got his heels dug into this and he knows exactly where he's going with it. How do you decide when you exit a business? Because, you know, I, I talk about it. I was, I was telling Sanger, you know, Bill's had all these different businesses. You know, a really impressive resume of all these different businesses. And we tend to, as entrepreneurs, think about, wow, you started this, you started this, you started this. But you also got out of that. You also got out of a restaurant and, you know, factory and, and all these types of things. I think that's as important a decision as, is how do you decide what to start? How do you go through the process of deciding to exit? Hmm. I'm not real good at that. I didn't do a real good job of thinking that through, you know, I mean, I, I did okay, but I could have done a lot better if I'd have taken some time with it. That's why I wouldn't be good at real estate. That's not the way I work. That's good for some people. They can do that. Right. Yeah, too, too quick moving. Yeah. I got to see things changing. Another thing I look at is this. I w- always watch the slope of sales every year. Okay. Is it going up? Is it going down? Whatever the case might be. And if I see a significant change in sales, I look to see, is it something internally? Is it something ex- externally? Positive or negative? Positive or negative. Okay. Just, some, just a variant. Yes then I might move in and say, we're going to dump this. It's not going the way that we wanted it to go. So let's, let's sell this business. And so then you get an estimate on the business and all that, then you sell it. That's a real good way. Do you find that when you have exited a business, is it solely based on the determination that that business has had reached a peak or was changing to a negative trajectory in sales? Or have you found that you're deciding to sell a business because you see a bigger, better opportunity somewhere else? Mm, both. And I'll tell you something else. Okay. A lot of it is too, if I've lost interest in it. Okay. You know, I did finally get lose interest in after, you know, 15 years of selling chocolates, making chocolates. That's a great business. You know, 125 employees, perfect. The American dream, you know, built it up to be the, one of the largest hand-dipped chocolate factories in America. When you're looking at selling a business or making a change, is my interest still there? Usually, in most cases, I'm starting to lose interest in it. It just wasn't fun anymore. Okay. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't feel like I could contribute anything else to make it better. Taking it as far as you could take it. So yeah. So. And that's a really important thing you need to teach your people. You know, you got to know when to get out. 
you know, the business is growing great. Mm-hmm. There's a point here somewhere where your skills are back in here. Right. They're not here. Sure. Sure. Bill, you, you are a fountain of wisdom. So th- thank you for all the, the wisdom you've shared. Well, I got you guys uh, fooled. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly with Bill Bird. I had a great time. I know I learned a lot about the decision-making process when it comes to being a successful entrepreneur. I hope you learned something too. We talked a lot about integrity. We talked a lot about how to know when to buy a business, how to know when to not buy a business. If you like our show, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you don't, I hope your business fails. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Follow us on Instagram and our website. See you next time. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.